Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a message from our sermon series in Isaiah. Uh, A brief word of prayer. Our holy God, now as we open your word, we simply ask that you would open our hearts. We can ask no less because we belong to you and you deserve our obedience. So open our hearts as we open your word, our great and holy God. Amen. Amen. The sermon this morning will be from Isaiah chapter 13, but the first place I want you to go is Genesis chapter 4. The reason is because Isaiah 13 is is basically about how God handles it when people are mean to or even murder other people. That's what Isaiah 13 is about, how a just and holy God deals with violence and murder. And the reason we want to start in Genesis 4 is because Genesis 4 is the story of the first two people who were born on this planet. The first two people here were Adam and Eve, but God, like, specially created them. The first two people to be born, to grow in a mother's womb and be born on this planet. One of those persons was so violent and so mean and so hateful that he murdered the other one. That's what Genesis 4 is about. Isaiah 13 is about how God deals with the consequences of those kinds of actions in judgment. But read the story in Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. From the ground. The first, the story of the first two people born on this planet is a story of one murdering the other. The Bible shows us right from the beginning that human beings, people, can be brutally mean and unjust to each other. And it says there in Genesis 4, verse 10, that when God in heaven sees the way we are mean and awful to each other, Did you see it in Genesis 4.10? It says that the blood of that injustice cries out to God, yells out to God with a a voice of pain, cries out to God from the ground. 
This week, we saw on the news that there was another shooting in an elementary school in our nation. This loss of life. We feel horrible. We feel horrible when these things happen. And we pray when these things happen. And the Bible says right there in Genesis 4, verse 10, that God cares about it when these things happen. Blood cries out to him from the ground. We care about it when these things happen because we were created in the image of God. And God cares about it when these things happen. And for all of us, east of Eden, every page of Scripture and every page of human history that we are still enduring, blood still cries out. And justice is not perfectly done. Injustice continues to happen, and it's not dealt with the way that it should be dealt with. Isaiah wrote chapter 13 and really all the way through chapter 20 to explain what God's going to do about that in the end. So if you look at Isaiah chapter 13, it is very rare to hear a sermon out of Isaiah 13 through, say, about verse 20, or through chapter 13 through about chapter 20 or 21. The reason it's rare to hear sermons out of these chapters is because the titles of these chapters are an oracle against Babylon, an oracle against Moab, an oracle against Edom. And we think, I don't know where Moab is. I don't know what Edom did wrong, and we just sort of skip it. But think again, huge mistake to skip this because this world is wicked and murder goes on even against the youngest among us and this world is greedy and people gain power and money by exploiting other people and then this world talks about what's happening and this world calls evil good and this world calls good evil. And sometimes churches try to do the right thing and the world persecutes the church. They try to stamp out the light. And in all of this going on, God sees it, God knows about it, and God has a day coming when he will deal with it. The reason we need the prophecy of Isaiah is because in our little days where we endure things and we cry out and we can't explain things, we have to have an eye to that day where God will deal with it all. We need Isaiah 13 through 20, the oracles against the nations, because they will put confidence and courage into our hearts. Isaiah gives us this future hope this sure and certain hope. Even though we live in a day when blood cries out from the ground and it isn't perfectly answered yet, if we get what Isaiah says, we can wait with faith, we can wait with hope, we can be angry while we wait. God is angry about murder. And if, as people created in the image of God, we should be angry about murder. We should care about these things the way that God cares about them. And even though we wait, and even though we cry, and even though we're angry, as people of God, we don't lose our minds about these things, and we don't deal with these things the way the world deals with these things. Because we fight, but we don't fight the way the world fights. We fight as the people of God. 
And the only way we can do that is if we have this vision from Isaiah. So I want to look together at Isaiah 13, the oracle against Babylon. Verse 1, the oracle concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amoz saw, on a bare hill, raise a signal, cry aloud to them, wave the hand for them to enter the gates of the nobles. I myself have commanded my consecrated ones and have summoned my mighty men to execute my anger, my proudly exalting ones. This oracle against Babylon, we say, what's Babylon? Babylon is like a biblical code word for every human society that's built on human pride, human arrogance, human avarice, human greed, and human cruelty. Babylon began with the story in Genesis of the Tower of Babel. And Babylon is mentioned not only in the first book of the Bible, but in the last book of the Bible. Revelation 18, Revelation 12, we see the final and last Babylon and what God does to deal with it. From Genesis 11 all the way through Revelation 18. Babylon is human society built on pride and violence and greed and injustice. Listen to, this is just a little sentence that summarizes human societies. I think, it date back, I think it dates back actually to ancient Athens. It's a very old proverb. And this is the description of human society. The strong do what they can, and the weak suffer what they must. The strong do what they can, and the weak suffer what they must. This very ancient summary of human society is correct. It correctly describes the injustice that takes place all around us. Indeed, the injustice that we ourselves cause. And it describes how human justice is imperfect. And in every society, those who can will take advantage of those who can't. And the strong will do what they can while the weak suffer what they must. That happens in Babylon. But God won't let it happen forever. We stopped in verse 3, pick it up in verse 4. The sound of a tumult is on the mountains as of a great multitude. The sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathering together. The Lord of hosts is mustering a host for battle. They come from a distant land and from the ends of the heavens. The Lord and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. As destruction from the Almighty, it will come. Here in verse 6, Isaiah speaks about the day of the Lord. And here we're at, in biblical prophecy, it, it's always like mountain peaks that we're looking at two mountains and maybe they look close together, but if we got all the way there, we'd see there's a, there's a thousand miles between the two of them. When, we, when we're reading prophecy, we ask, well, uh, were there many days of the Lord in Israel's history? Did Isaiah see a day of the Lord like he was talking about? And the answer to that is yes. But is there a final day of the Lord, the final consummate day of the Lord in the end of all things that hasn't come yet? And the answer to that is yes. So we say, did this actually happen shortly after Isaiah's day to the nation of Babylon? And the answer is yes. 
Will this happen in the end to the final Babylon, all of human societies, Revelation 18? And the answer is yes. Both. We pick it up in verse 7. Therefore, all hands will be feeble and every human heart will melt. They will be dismayed. Pangs and agony will seize them. They will be in anguish like a woman in labor. They will look aghast at one another. Their faces will be aflame. What, a, what an image in the Hebrew there. The end of verse 8 says, they will look with astonishment at one another. One commentator says this in the final judgment. Men will stare at each other in an agony of both indecision and recognition. Their indecision because they are baffled to know where could they turn. Their recognition of having trusted the wrong resource and so being left in fear and shame. They look aghast at one another and their faces are aflame. Verse 9, Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with wrath and fierce anger, to make the land a desolation and to destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of the heavens and their constellations will not give their light. The sun will be dark at its rising and the moon will not shed its light. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. I will make people more rare than fine gold and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Like a hunted gazelle, like a sheep with none to gather them, each will turn to his own people. Each will flee to his own land. Whoever is found will be thrust through. Whoever is caught will fall by the sword. Infants will be dashed in pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered, their wives ravished. Behold, I am stirring up the Medes against them who have no regard for silver and don't delight in gold. Their bows will slaughter the young men. They'll have no mercy on the fruit of the womb. Their eyes will not pity children. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the splendor and pomp of the Chaldeans will be like Sodom and Gomorrah. When God overthrew them, it will never be inhabited or lived in for all generations. No Arab will pitch his tent there. No shepherd will make their flocks lie down there. But wild animals will lie down there. And their houses will be full of howling creatures where ostriches will dwell and where wild goats will dance. Hyenas will cry in its towers and jackals in its pleasant places. Its time is close at hand and its days will not be prolonged. A final verse in this admittedly frightening chapter says that the day of evil, the day of the blood crying out from the ground will not be forever, will not be forever. It will not be forever for God will deal with it decisively. We know that day is coming. It's called the day of the Lord in verse 6. It's called the the punishment of the evil in verse 11, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the arrogance and avarice and violence and abuse and injustice. God will put an end to all of it. And we, we love that. We love that. It's not that we love violence, but we love justice and we love righteousness. And it's right to be angry at murder and greed and abuse and injustice. We're like God in that way. We're bearing his image. 
And so we want the wrongs to be made right, and we want justice to to flow down from heaven. We long for that day. That's a big theme in Isaiah. If you want to see it again, just turn back to chapter 2. I love how Isaiah puts it in chapter 2. I love it. And again, I don't love this because I I love violence and bloodshed, but I love this because God's going to do it and it's going to be right when he does it. Look at how Isaiah says it in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 9. Isaiah 2, 9, so man is humbled and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Enter into the rocks and hide in the dust before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. Look at verse 11. The haughty looks of man will be brought low. The lofty pride of men will be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall all be brought low. Look at how the chapter ends. Look at verse 17 of Isaiah 2. Verse 17. The haughtiness of man humbled. The lofty pride of man brought low. The Lord alone will be exalted. The idols will pass away. The people will hide in caves and rocks. They'll throw away their idols. They'll throw away their gold, it says in verse 21. They'll hide in the rocks from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Verse 22. Stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath of what account is he? Man, we need this. Don't fear Babylon. Don't fear it. His God is over all of it. We love this because it matches the longing in our heart. There's a song uh, written by um, Andrew Peterson and Ben Shive that I listened to it this week after I saw the news about the school shooting. It's like just one of those songs that I go back to when I'm just, my, I just, why is all this happening? And the lyrics they wrote in that song, it's called Rise Up. The lyrics, uh, one part of the lyrics goes like this. Every stone that makes you stumble and cuts you when you fall. Every serpent here that strikes your heel to curse you while you crawl. The king of love will one day crush them all. If a thief had come to plunder when the children were alone, if he ravaged every daughter and he murdered every son, would not their father see this and would not his anger burn? Would not he repay the tyrant in the day of his return? Await, await the day of his return for he will rise up in the end. This is what Isaiah is speaking of and it's good for us to receive it and it's good for us to teach it to our five-year-olds. This is our God. And he is holy. God has this day on his calendar. And he is counting down to this day. I mentioned that it's rare to hear a sermon out of Isaiah 13 through about 20. The oracle of Babylon, the oracle of Philistia, the oracle of Moab, the oracle of Damascus, the oracle against Egypt. Because we just think these are, we don't even know where those places were, what what their deal was. But you see how, how this matches the... The, the, the current news events of our day, but more than that, it matches the longing of the heart of every mother, heart of every father, the heart of every child. So if we could give you two truths out of this chapter. One is a big truth about your perspective, and the other one will be a, more of a personal truth about 
some changes you need to make in your attitude. So first, one big truth to challenge your perspective. The big truth to remember out of Isaiah 13 is this. Trust and wait. For every enemy will be dealt with by God in the end. Trust and wait. Every nation, every enemy will be dealt with by God. Trust and wait. All nations and every enemy will be dealt with by God. All nations are under the sovereign sway of King Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. The nations lining up against Israel were called by these names, Babylon, Philistia, Moab, Damascus, Egypt. The challenges lining up against you might not be a nation. It might be a, a difficulty in your situation, whatever it is. Trust and wait because every enemy will be dealt with by God. Look to the Lord. Trust the Lord and do not be afraid. Trust the Lord and do not be afraid. The Bible doesn't say that you don't have to be afraid because nothing bad's going to happen. From Genesis 4, the first two people that were born on this planet, one of them made the ultimate bad thing happen. He was a murderer. The Bible doesn't say not to be afraid because nothing bad's going to happen. The Bible says don't be afraid because every bad thing that happens is seen and recounted and known by God. And it will be covered in the blood of the Son of God or the blood of the one who caused that bloodshed will boil forever. But everything will be dealt with in the end. Note that well and never forget it. Every Pharaoh, every Nebuchadnezzar, every Babylon, every Jezebel, every Judas will be dealt with by a holy God. The king of love will one day crush it all. Another song that I listen to that often comforts me is by the profound theologian Johnny Cash. You know this one. Go tell that long-tongued liar. <laughs> that long-tongued Babylon always lies. And her lies are so slick. Her lies are so plausible and believable. And all the beautiful people operate according to them. And so we get sucked into it. But Cash says, go tell that long, long liar. Go tell that midnight rider. Tell the rambler, the gambler, the backbiter. Tell him God's going to cut him down. You can run on for a long time. You run on for a, you can run on for a long time. But sooner or later, God will cut you down. I think Johnny got that from Isaiah. I really do. So the big truth of perspective is trust and wait. All nations and every enemy will be dealt with by God. And the reason that we need that is because we, we are not meant to be mousy people. Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. We are not meant to be people who see Babylon and who see Goliath and say, oh, they're so big, what are we going to do? The church of Jesus Christ is meant to be people who see Babylon, who see Goliath and say, that target is so big, there's no way I can miss. I'm going to pray. I'm going to teach. I'm going to share Jesus. Come what may. And the fear is gone because Jesus already conquered our last enemy, which is death. So wait and trust 
That's the way for the church to operate, trust and obey in faith. That's the big perspective. The more personal truth that I want to challenge you to change your attitude is this. Put off pride and put on humility. Babylon is human culture built on pride. Babylon is human culture built on pride. So I'm challenging you to put off pride and put on humility. Isaiah 13, verse 11. I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. How many times has God said, I am opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. I'm opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. So put off your pride and put on humility. This is why we need this, is why we need this vision from Isaiah. And, and to help you understand your attitude about humility and pride and to help you transform it, if I, could, if I could lay out, I don't know, three or four or five steps to take. Number one, admit that you have more pride than you think you do. Hello? Admit that you have more pride than you think you do. That's step number one. You might, you might have worse breath than you think you do. It's a possibility. It's a possibility. You might uh, have put on your shirt inside out this morning and you don't know it yet. Maybe. You might have done a lot of things, but there's no might or maybe. You have more pride than you think you do. You have more pride than you think you do. That's a fact. This old, uh, it's, it's like a, it's like a prayer about confessing sin, but it's an old poem. It says, Off have I turned my eyes within and brought to light some latent sin, but pride, that vice I most detest, still lurks secretly in my breast. She hides my follies from my eyes. She lifts my virtues to the skies. And while that specious tale she tells, her own deformity conceals. There's more pride in us than we think there is. Admit that. Admit that. Number one, admit you have more pride than you think you do. Number two, the, the only way to conquer pride is to see God first and everything else second. See God first and everything else second. And I'm telling you, that's a pretty much a summary of the theme of the book of Isaiah. See God first and everything else second. Babylon, Egypt, yeah, we'll deal with that. We'll see that. But first, we see God. We need this vision of God first and highest and most and best. Because otherwise, Babylon distorts our vision. See God first and everything else second. So humility is not pretending like you're a loser all the time, right? Humility is not shrinking and saying, oh, I'm so bad, I'm so bad. Humility is a very realistic view of yourself. You, you stand up on your tiptoes and have, have, the, have the highest view of yourself that you can possibly have as long as yourself is backed up against the measuring stick, which is the Lord of hosts. See God first. The way to be humble is not to try to be smaller than you really are. You have strength, you have worth, you have a, a voice that needs to be heard, you have, you have gifts that need to be used. Your anger against the injustices in the world may make the world a better place. Use all of that. That's, that's God-given. Don't pretend you don't have it. 
Don't stoop down that you're smaller than you are. Stand at your real height, but stand up against and before beholding God. See God first and everything else second. Another way to pursue humility is this. Seek the presence and favor of God first and everything else second. Seek the presence and favor of God first and everything else second. Whose favor are you seeking? Babylon's or God's? Seek the presence and favor of God first and everything else second. This is one of the, one of the most famous verses in Isaiah is actually in the last chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah 66, verse 2. And it tells what's going to happen if you seek the presence and favor of God first. Look at this, Isaiah 66, verse 2. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. 66, 2. But to this one I will look, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. The one who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. God, so to speak, is drawn with his favor and his presence to those who are humble. Seek the presence and favor of God first. We all know the feeling of wanting to be noticed. You're in Little League, and you, you cover that ground ball the way your coach taught you to cover it, and you want your coach to see that. We all know what it's like to have a crush on somebody and want them to notice you. When I was in high school, the first car that I got, the, the radio station that we all listened to at the time, uh, they had this deal on their radio station where they sent out bumper stickers, and while you were driving your car, there, there were these random vans that belonged to the radio station, and if they saw their sticker on your car, they would right away pull you over and give you a $100 bill. And so we all put that bumper sticker on our car, and we all drove around wanting to get noticed, right, by this radio station. We all know the feeling of wanting to be noticed. Do you want to be noticed by God? God says to this one, I will pay special notice to the one who is humble and who trembles at my word. This is the way to have a, a sweet relationship with God. Admit you have more pride than you think you do. See God first and everything else second. Seek the presence and favor of God first and everything else second. Number four, how do I know that I'm becoming more humble? How do I know that I'm becoming more humble? Simply this, I am listening to God's word. I'm listening to God's word. Are you really listening to God's word? Psalm 119, verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I shall observe it all the way to the end. Psalm 119, verse 73, O Lord, your hands made me and fashioned me, so give me understanding that I may keep your word. Psalm 119, verse 133, order my steps according to your word and let no iniquity have dominion over me. I know you're growing in humility when you're growing in your ability to listen to God's word. The humble person listens to the answers that God gives. The proud person never learns because they're so filled with what they think they already know. A, a proud child will never learn in the classroom because she or he doesn't listen. But a humble child listens 
And a humble child says, well, I don't understand that. Could you help me understand that? That's humility that admits I don't understand things. That's what Psalm 119 is. It's this massive expression of humility to listen to God's word. How do I know if I'm humble, if I'm listening to God's word? The greatest way to listen for God's wisdom is to hear the voice of Jesus and to come to Christ as Savior. The day of the Lord that Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 13, you know what it's called in the New Testament? First and Second Thessalonians, other places? It's called the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 5, a day is coming when all who are in the graves will come forth some to a judgment of everlasting punishment and some to eternal life. And it's the voice of Jesus that calls them forth and it's whether Jesus is their Savior and Lord or not that makes the ultimate difference on that day. That day is coming. The day when God will lay low the pompous pride of the arrogant. And we are waiting and ready for it if we know that we are the people of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, feed your sheep the good food of your word. Feed our hope. Feed our faith. Feed our love. Feed us with your word. Give us ears to hear. Feet that are swift to run the way of your commandments. A conscience that is quick to confess sin. Lord Jesus, feed your precious sheep with the good food of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.